0: That God's strong enough to allow you to do anything. Uh, now, some of you right now are hedging bets, and the reason that you're hedging bets is simply because the question is: is what do you mean by everything? Does that include extreme sports? Does that include living life on the edge? All right. Those are the questions. Our goal this morning is actually twofold. Number one, I want to address from a biblical perspective of what it means to live life on the edge. What does it mean to live life in the extreme? And most of what we're going to say, quite honestly, is going to be just stirring up what we already know within us. Laying a basic foundation for God's mission within our life, and that is a life on the edge. And then after that, we're going to celebrate someone who within our congregation has said, I desire to live life on the edge. All right, let's stop for a moment and just ask this question about life on the edge and what does that look like. Let me ask a question. Would you skydive? All right, would you skydive? If you can't see, this particular individual is actually 100 years old. And on their birthday, they are skydiving. Let's go ahead and just get a little bit of audience response here. How many would say yes, I'd be willing to skydive? Okay, let's continue. How many of you would be willing to bungee jump? All right, bungee jump. Would you be willing to do that at all? I have to be honest with you. If I had a chance to bungee jump, maybe. Cliff dive. How many of you would be willing to cliff dive at that point? Anyone? Some of you are saying, why should I jump off a perfectly good cliff? All right. it, it seems to me just absolutely mindless to jump off a cliff that would be at that level. Let's go one step further than that. Would you be willing to do any extreme sport would you be willing to take (laughs) any risk would you be willing to go beyond the norm now some of you are are, some of you are sitting out there going is that real uh i don't think it is actually real all right and trust me with the previous picture no animals were harmed in the putting together of this powerpoint (laughs) Just so everyone knows. The question really is about living life on the edge. And what does it mean to live life on the edge? Hey, Matthew chapter 16 provides for us an indication from a biblical perspective of what it means to live life on the edge. Let's pick it up. This is the section in which Peter's about ready to make a confession of who Christ is. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, he then, based upon that confession, he tells you what he is going to be about. All right, what does it mean to live life on the edge? What does it mean to be involved in what Christ is doing in the world today? Next verse. But I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, thankfully, God does not require us ever to jump from planes, bridges, or cliffs. But God does expect us and even demand us that we would join Him in an extreme adventure when we think of extreme sports we might ask ourselves a series of questions you know would i do these if my vocation demanded it would i do it if my best friend did it with me some of you might want to turn right now and ask that individual beside you if you bungee jumped would they bungee jump Right away, I I can already hear the no's from some of the smarter individuals in the room. Would you do it if there was a guarantee of success? And then, would you do it if God got the glory? Now again, as it relates to extreme sports, we know that the answer to these particular questions are extremely personal you can make that decision. But as it relates to getting involved with what God wants us to do by way of living life on the edge, what God wants us to do by way of living the extreme, then our answers to these questions must be yes. Lord, if my vocation as a believer demands it, I will live life on the edge. If my best friend joins me in it, then I will live life on the edge. If I am guaranteed success, then I should live life on the edge. And Lord, if you're going to get the glory, I want to live life on the edge. Our invitation this morning is very simple. I'd like to extend God's invitation to you for the most extreme adventure in the world. And I'll simply say that the greatest adventure in the world today is to join Jesus Christ in the building of his church. There is nothing more exciting, nothing more extreme, nothing more adventuresome, nothing more satisfying and more fulfilling than parting with Christ in the building of his church. Let's start with a basic question. What is God doing in the world today? Why should we join him? And then, at a very practical perspective here at Palmetto, what should that look like? Let's begin with our very first question What is God doing in the world today? He's really answered that question for us in verse 18 when he says this. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock now comes his mission statement. I will build my church. What is God doing in the world today? God is doing the greatest construction project ever thought of. God is building a church for the praise of his glory. I work in a college setting, and so many times within a college setting, I tend to address questions, and uh, if I can phrase it this way, in very simplistic, tangible ways. So as I was having this discussion with a group of college students, they were saying, yeah, well, what exactly is God doing in the world? Now, at one level, the answer to that is God is being God, meaning that God is doing all that is necessary For the sustaining work of this world so that every molecule is held together by his perfect divine will and his perfect divine plan. But at a a more focused level, let me ask the question this way. If God had cable television, what channel would he be watching? As I asked that question to a group of students, immediately some of, on one particular side of campus said this. They said, well, obviously he'd be watching ESPN. I mean, the World Cup is coming. We've got college football. You have pro football. I mean, what else would hold one's attention other than that? Those that were of the political science background, they would answer that by saying, well, I mean, obviously he's watching Fox or he's watching CNN so he can clarify all of their untruths. And and he's addressing all of the problems in the world. I mean, that's where God's focus is today. And even this week, some of us found ourselves more interested than we should be in those channels. Some would say, no, 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 no. Science majors would say, God's watching the, the discovery channel or the nature, nature channel. I mean, the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament it shows his handiwork. Day into day utter speech and night into night showeth knowledge. God is watching his own majesty of his creation. And he's reveling in the joy of what he's done. Let me suggest for us this morning that God is not watching any of those channels. What is God doing in the world today? We won't take the time to turn there, but let's reflect back on two years ago when, as a church, we studied the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that what God the Father is doing, he is blessing, choosing, predestinating, adopting, redeeming, forgiving, empowering, and enlightening a people for the praise of his name. That's chapter 1. That's the work of God the Father. In chapter 2, God is taking people that were absolutely spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins, and he's bringing about regeneration. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, he brings about regeneration, the impartation of spiritual life to that which is spiritually dead. And then he takes two people groups Jew and Gentile, and he brings them together into one body called the church. And then chapter 3, Paul says, this is the dispensation, this is the stewardship that has been given me, that I would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To what end? Well, verse 10 actually tells us exactly the end for which he's preaching the gospel. Simply says this, so that... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to all of the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that this was according to the eternal purpose of God, which he raised through Jesus Christ. Let's address the question. What is God doing in the world today? God is taking individuals of every ethnicity from every nation, from every background and he's allowing the gospel to reach them and then he is using the power of the gospel to bring about spiritual life and when that life takes place he's bringing utter strangers and indeed enemies not only of himself but enemies of one another and he's forming a union within that fellowship and he is forming a church and you know what's happening The angels up in heaven, the authorities and the rulers and the powers are looking down and they're saying, wow, who would have ever imagined, God, of all of the things that you could be doing today, you are taking total strangers, enemies, corpses, spiritually speaking, And you're bringing them together to form a body. And you're purifying them as a bride. And you're placing them in exact positions to be a building that reflects your glory in all of the world. And the angels are absolutely blown away by the wisdom of God. Friend, let me just say this. At times, we can wake up on a Sunday morning. And we can come to church, and we can come to a gym, and we can go, it's duty. i got to check the box. Please understand, what is happening now in this setting, as this local church functions as a body to reflect the glory of God, the angels in heaven are absolutely stunned by it. Because this is the plan of God. And he's not just doing it here. He's doing it in 195 nations of the world. He's doing it with 16,000 different people groups. He has a desire to do it amongst the two Point one billion people that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ what is God doing in the world today he is building a building he is purifying a bride he's constructing a body for the praise of his glorious grace now the question is this do you want to join God in that That is the most extreme adventure in all of the world, and that's what God's doing. So to the question, do we want to join God in that? And, of course, our answer is yes. We individually and corporately, we want to join God. Why do we want to join God in this? Let me suggest three reasons within the text. Number one, (coughs) because our enemy is great. If we go back to the text, it simply says this. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? The minute I read that, that phrase, there's two questions that come to my mind. Question number one is, is the church in a defensive position, or is this an offensive az- assault? And then question number two is the question of, what exactly are the gates of hell? Let's just take a look at both of those questions. Number one, is this a defensive position or an offensive position? The language clearly communicates something that that the text doesn't necessarily communicate with our own minds. Many times when we read this particular text, our image is this, is that the, the church is a castle and around that castle there's a moat and the enemy is all around that moat. And as a church, our primary responsibility is to pull the drawbridge up so that as we pull the drawbridge up, the enemy has no access into the castle. That way we can keep ourselves pure from all of the enemies of the world. So they are assaulting us, and we are protecting our purity. That's one image that comes to mind. But that's not what the text is saying. That's a defensive position that the church would take. The text is actually communicating offensive position. It is not that we stay cloistered together and then raise the drawbridge up. What Christ is saying is this, is as the church is expanding and as the church is moving out, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. They will be driven back from us. All right, what are the gates of hell that are being spoken of here? Right, there's two different options. Some suggest that the language speaks in terms of Satan and Lucifer and all of his demonic minions. And that as they are working uh, toward their mischievous cruelty, that the church indeed will ultimately uh, defeat them. It's one option. I think... The second option is the better one, and the better option is simply this, that the gates of hell speak of the gates of death, that as the church is being formed, that death itself, the final enemy, will not be able to stop the advance of the church that the church will continue to live and that the church will continue to thrive and that nothing will be able to withstand it. Now, we stop for a moment, and my, my, my statement is this. Why should we join Christ in this wonderful adventure? And my answer is because of the greatness of the enemy. Anytime you go on an adventure, and again, I'll go back to my analogy of an extreme sport. If I were to say I'm going to join an extreme sport, and that extreme sport is jumping, watch, observe, and admire. Pretty good, huh? (laughs) Obviously, I'm an expert in this area. And I'd be willing to share it with anyone. Most of you smile and you go, Trainer, come on. Any fool could do that. That's not extreme. That is an easy task that is comfortable for all. That's exactly right. The greater the enemy, the greater the task the greater the joy in the defeat and in the accomplishment. If I were to stand up and I were to say, I'll put this in football terminology, that Clemson beat Furman, exactly, no response whatsoever. Everyone will go, well, of course Clemson beat Furman. I mean, Clemson should be able to wipe Furman off, and they actually did earlier in the year. But if I were to say that Clemson beat Georgia, Exactly, a response. <laughs> and the response is given because to beat Georgia is far greater than beating, Cle- than, than beating Furman. Right? The greater the enemy, the greater the joy in the defeat, the greater the adventure, the greater the task, and the greater the desire sh- there should be to be on that team. When Christ speaks in terms of the gates of hell, there are individuals that actually respond to that within Christendom that simply say this, you know what, you're right, the world is getting worse and worse. We see the unfettered dispersion of uncensored internet filth. We see growing Islamic revolution. We see the mounting strength of communist China. We see urbanization and all the negative effects of that. We see globalization. We see all kinds of critical race theory. We see pluralism. We see postmodernism. We see multiple other fearful realities. And our response to that at times is simply this. Batten down the hatches. Get the drawbridge up. Secure the family. Let's do all that we can to make sure that that there's no one that can touch us. I'll simply say, no. Do you realize that there are more Christians that are heading to Montana and Idaho than ever before? They're heading for safe ground so that they can get out of this world. My response to that is simply this. Now is not the day to retreat and hide. Now is not the day to assimilate into the crowd. Now is the day to do battle, and now is the day to build. The joy of the victory in the battle is based upon the size and the strength of the enemy. Beating a weak team actually brings little satisfaction, but seeing a giant fall is absolutely thrilling. Why should we join in what God is doing today in the building of his church? The answer is because the enemy is great. And because the enemy is great, that should absolutely enliven our our hearts. That should prep us for action. That should create within us a momentum that is forward-moving, offensive in nature, not defensive in posture. There's a second reason that is given within the text as to why we should join Christ in what he's doing. It's simply this, because the companionship is greater. All right, what do I mean by this? The building of the church is what Christ is doing. I mentioned earlier, would you do extreme sports if your best friend did it with you? And for some of you, that might have a bearing on your choice as far as the activity is concerned. What's wonderful about this particular activity, the building of Christ's church, is he absolutely guarantees that he will be with you. No questions asked. And with the passage defined as the Great Commission, later on, Matthew makes this quote from Christ in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then what does he say? Immediately, he says, and behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. When one looks at history... There were those individuals that reflect back on their life, in particular events in their life, and they say, I was there. Can you imagine uh, during the Revolutionary War, there are a group of men that would have walked around for the rest of their life, and they would have said, I was with Washington in Valley Forge. I was there. There are individuals after the Civil War that would have said, I was with Chamberlain on Little Round Top. And when we made that charge down the hill, I was there. There are individuals that would have said after D-Day, I was there. I stormed the beaches at Normandy. I saw the work. I was involved in the action. I was on the front line. There are still individuals today that will say something like this. I was with Norman Swartzkopf during Desert Storm. I was there. And when we hear testimonies like that, there should be something within our hearts, even on, 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 particularly on Veterans Day, and the celebration of it this weekend, where our hearts swell up with pride and we look at them and we honor them. We honor them for their courage. We honor them for their daring. We honor them for their companionship and a great task. Today, God simply says this. I am building my church. Will you be there with me? Will you join me? When I was saved as a 19-year-old I was saved in a particular university and the professor who was very influential in leading me to the Lord. Uh, from that point forward, he became the guy that I wanted to be like. So, I watched everything he did. I saw that he carried a particular Bible. I went and bought that Bible. I watched how he, he, he shared with me, this is how I do my devotions. I said, like, well, that's how I'm going to do my devotions. I saw where he went to church. I went to church with him. I listened to him preach. I went, all right, I'm going to try and preach like him. Not very good at that, but I'm going to try and preach like him. Everything that he did, I wanted to be his companion. Because for me, that level of companionship meant being in the same task that he was in. Why should we join Christ in what he's doing by way of the building of of the church? Simply because of this, because our companionship is greater. When we join Christ, we have the greatest friend that will never leave us or forsake us and will join us in all that we do. But I would suggest this, not only do we have a spiritual companion that joins us, but we have a plethora of, of other individuals that we get to join the host with. And they're varied in nature. Think for a moment. David Livingston, Africa, a scientist and an explorer. Hudson Taylor, he joined in what Christ was doing and he was a medical doctor. Jonathan Goforth went to China. What did Goforth do before he went to China? He was a farmer, had 100 acres in Canada. C.T. Studd, he went to Africa and then China. What did he do? He was an athlete, one of the best cricket players in all of the world. Amy Carmichael served in India. What did she do? She was a teacher. William Carey went to India. He was a shoe repairman that eventually became a scientist. What I want you to see is simply this is when we join Christ in what he is doing in the world, he's not asking us necessarily to give up the fullness of our vocation. He's not asking us to give up our personalities. He's simply saying, Lord, or we're simply saying, Lord, whoever I am, however you've created me, I want to join in what you are doing because I want to have that companionship. Third statement is simply this. Why should I join Christ in building the church? Number three, because we are guaranteed success. We are guaranteed success. I will build my church. You know, the needs of the world right now are great. The physical suffering is real, and there's a lot of good work that is going on, but ultimately... The only work that will ever be successful in the transformation of this world is the work of the gospel. How do I know it will be successful? Well, I know it will be successful because I know at the end that God will be glorified. Let me bring these two things together just for a moment. At the end of the day, missions exist because worship doesn't author said that many years ago, and it has resonated all throughout the church. That missions exist because worship doesn't. What does success look like? What does glory look like? Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5 give the great worship scene at the end of the age. And in that great worship scene at the end of the age, we read this in Revelation 5-9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people, and catch what he says here, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to their God, and they shall reign on earth." If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you'll be there. You will be at that great final worship scene where people from every language and tribe and nation will be gathered together for one express purpose, and that is to give glory to God, which is the evidence of success of the mission of God in building His church. And by the way, That scene is actually going to be incredibly enjoyable. Can you imagine it for a moment? We have a a taste of it even this morning. I've had the opportunity of traveling uh, to a a good number of places in the world, and it's fun to go into local churches and to see how they worship. Up in Wisconsin, when you're in a local church in the northern parts of the United States, worship many times has a solemnity to it. So you come in and everyone is quiet and the organ is playing and everyone sits down and you sing the doxology and you go through all the appropriate forms of the liturgy and it is heartfelt, sincere worship before God. And then you go to Africa. Altogether different. In Africa, there are no organs. All right. In Africa, there is an absolute explosion of praise. And when the body joins together and the music begins, the body moves with the music. And I'm not talking about the church body. I'm talking about the physical body. And everyone begins to explore the joys of what God is doing within their life. And then you go to China, and in China, it's quieter. And you go to Eastern Europe, and it's very solemn. And then you go to South America, and again, there's this explosion of joy. And when we get to heaven, after the rapture, before the throne of God, can you imagine all of these people gathered together in worship? I mean, all of the northerners will fall on their face before God. Inappropriate response, Isaiah chapter 6. And all of the Africans will be looking at them going, what are you doing? And they're going to be dancing, and they're going to be running as fast as they can, trying to get to the throne. And as they're, as they're running to the throne, they're going to be dancing over all of our little white bodies on the ground, going, I don't, I don't want to step on these people, but I just want to get to Jesus. That's all I want to do. And God's going to look at all of that, and he's going to say, this is My church. This is what I gave my life for. This is the end game. And now he simply says, will you join me? Will you join me? Can you think of anything better to expend your life on? Think God's great adventure of building his church? All right, so what is God doing? He's building his church. Why should we be involved? Well, we should be involved because there's a great enemy that we ultimately will be victorious over. We should be involved because there's a great companionship because Christ is always with us. We should be involved because we're guaranteed success. We should be involved because God will be glorified in the end. All right, last question. What does this look like then? I, again, I, as I said from the outset, I'm not going to say, I've not said anything that you don't already know. This is just a refresher of the Great Commission and Great Commission living. So, what should this look like at Palmetto Baptist Church? Let me suggest four things. Number one, we must be an expanding church. Let me ask just a simple series of questions. Is the work of the gospel done in this building? Are we to close our doors now and be satisfied and be content that God has brought us this far? And we're safe, we're secure, we're comfortable. Why do anything extreme when our natural propensities and proclivities are to be conservative? Lord, just... I'm comfortable. We must be an expanding church. God forbid that we should limit His abilities to expand this ministry. Some say, Boy, but our resources are limited. But thankfully, God's are never limited. God can do anything that He wants to do, and He wants to build His church. Talk more about this next week as we talk about going in our community. Not, must, not only do we have to be an expanding church, but we should be a reproducing church. I appreciate that from the outset of Palmetto Baptist Church, there was a heartbeat for reproduction. Is there a need within our community to strengthen and to expand other Great Commission churches? And the answer to that is yes these goals of expanding and reproducing are not in opposition to one another. And if you place them in opposition to one another, then you actually do not understand God's math, which is is distinctly different than our math. Now, the timing for reproduction is that which God gives by way of wisdom. But our vision must always be, Lord, how can we reproduce ourselves? Third thing, is we must be a supporting church. We must be a supporting church. What does that look like? Right, just from a very practical perspective, the application of the Great Commission is not solely to go. It includes praying that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. It includes praying Being a part of a church that prays for individuals, that gives financially, that has an awareness of what God is doing in the world, that extends love to those that are serving the Lord, that communicates with those that are serving the Lord. So again, practically speaking, what does this look like at Palmetto? Before the sermon, a little card was handed out to you. This is going to be the first of multiple steps forward in making sure that Palmetto Baptist Church has as its heartbeat within its DNA our love for what God is doing in the world. One of the things that's been asked over the course of the last several weeks is simply, you know, we're not even sure who our missionaries are. And part of that is just the limitations of facility, where we don't have a natural gathering place and we don't have a, 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 a natural board that everyone can identify who we're supposed to be praying for, who we're partnering with. Our desire, in, just by giving you this little card, is to communicate who our missionaries are, who we're currently supporting. And what we would ask is simply this, is that you treasure this. And if you lose it, ask for another They will always be located back on the welcome table. And that as an individual Christian, and then within the context of your family, that you prioritize prayer for those that have gone out from Palmetto and those that we are supporting. We want to be a missions church. Not by the standards of men, but by the standards of God. Which means that we are praying for individuals, that we're remembering them within our community groups. Each community group, and some have done this in the past, but we want to make sure that there is a freshness to this. Each community group, we want them to adopt one of our missionaries. And as they adopt that missionary, we want to make sure that we are aware of the needs of that missionary on their field, which demands communication so that community groups are connecting with missionaries and simply saying, hey, we're praying for the Scots in Thailand. What are your needs this week as we pray for you this week? As communication and as love and as prayer takes place, then naturally our treasure will go where our heart is. And we'll have the opportunity to continue to expand what God is doing through Palmetto and the building up of the church all around the world. The invitation is for you to be involved even at a supporting level. Then there's a final step. And the final step is that of sending. Sending communicates the idea of going, releasing, departing reaching people groups. Palmetto Baptist Church has always been a church that has desired to send missionaries onto the field. It has a wonderful track record in doing so. And I'll simply say, we want more. We want more because we believe that God has equipped this church in unique ways to send individuals out. What does that look like? Well, that looks like our children learning about what God is doing in the world today. That looks like our teens being exposed to missions and being encouraged toward missions and having missionaries as being our heroes, knowing that you reproduce that which you honor. That looks like our college and our career being aware that coming and sitting is insufficient. That there must be a participation in what God is doing in the world today. What that looks like, that could look like prayer. That could look like giving. That could look like short-term teams. That could look like corporate church teams. There's lots of ways that that could be fleshed out. But we got to take the next step forward. And And our desire is just to continue to grow. It also looks like what, as a church, we'll have the privilege of doing both this morning and then again in the near future. And that is taking individuals that have come up through Palmetto, those that are in our membership, those who are our own. And God has separated them unto gospel work in foreign countries. And we will have the joy of placing our hands upon them and commissioning them to gospel work. The Dunlop family is joining us today. I see them over on my right, and I saw them earlier. By God's grace, within a period of months, that entire family unit will be moving from upstate South Carolina to the country of France. In that transition, we as a church have an opportunity and a responsibility not merely to send them a check on a weekly or on a monthly basis, but to let them know that they are still a part of our family. That means that we have an accountability within our family to pray, to support, to love, to communicate. And that they have an accountability as members of our church to reciprocate in all of those ways so that we truly are partnering with what God is doing in France. I long for that day. They long for that day even more. As you look at those that are on the prayer card this morning, you will see others that have been sent out from Palmetto. And our desire is to have a purposeful, intentional, meaningful partnership with them that they know that we are part of their ministry and they're part of ours. This morning we have a unique privilege. And the unique privilege is we have Ashlyn Hunt with us this morning. Ashlyn, this coming week, will be on a plane, heading to Zambia. Ashen grew up in Zambia. She has a heart for the people there. She's gone back multiple times. And God has selected her, has separated her for gospel ministry in Zambia. For 14 months, she's convinced that that's where the Lord would have her, serving on the administration of Central Africa Baptist University. Her primary role, will be assisting that university as they train individuals to share the gospel all throughout Africa. As we commission her this morning, we're not ordaining her. Her desire is not to be a pastor, thankfully. And so we would work through that. What we're doing is we're noting exactly what took place in Acts 13. In Acts 13, the Spirit of God spoke to the church and simply said this, Separate unto me. Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have appointed them. And the church prayed together. And as the church prayed together, they pulled Paul and Barnabas aside. It says that they set their hands on them, and they commissioned them to the gospel work. And they went out from them. This morning, I'm going to ask Ashlyn in just a moment to come. And the pastoral staff is going to gather around her. We're going to lay hands on her. Pastor Sam is going to pray, and we're going to commission her to gospel work. But please understand, as the pastoral staff gathers around her, we're merely representing you, her church family, and we're committing to her an accountability that we have to be partners with her, and that accountability extends to everyone who's a member of Palmetto Baptist Church. What we do today is a celebration. It's a celebration because individuals have said, I will join God in what he's doing in the world today. I will live life on the edge. It's something that all of us can do at various levels. The invitation is there. And I would invite you to be a part of it. Ashlyn, why don't you come at this time? Members of the pastoral staff, if you will come at this time, And we'll have the joy of commissioning Ashland for gospel ministry.